You're listening to the Addiction Support Podcast, episode number 25. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Addiction Support Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker, and as always, I'm so grateful that you decided to spend a few moments with me this week. Um, Very excited to bring you Stephen Gerard, who's my guest, but before I go into his information, I just wanted to remind you that as always, you can come back to the show notes at addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 25 and you can get all the links and find out how you can listen to Steven's podcast and also connect and work with him. So without anything else, I just love you guys. So let's jump right into it here. Steven Gerard has been in recovery since the age of 22, which was back in 1984. He's been clean and sober for over 32 years. While he received the gift of recovery at an early age, it wasn't without years of serious unmanageability and painful consequences along the way. And he does go into that a little bit in this episode so that you can see that there's hope on the other side, which you know I love to bring you. He's been a professional musician since 1976 and has performed on over 20 recordings and has toured throughout Europe, Japan, and the U.S., He's active in recovery circles and is a sober coach and consultant, along with hosting a topic-based podcast, Real Deal Recovery. And that's on iTunes, so if you're listening on iTunes, you can find it there and probably other all the other places that amazing podcasts are hosted. Uh, Stephen has been a music educator for over 25 years, and for the last 10 years, he's been using rhythms to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic to special needs teens and adults. A former Buddhist forest monk from Thailand, he's an advocate of meditation and of practicing the 12 steps to achieve physical and emotional recovery. Stephen currently resides in New York City. And you may hear a little bit of that in the audio, but that's okay. What he has to provide as far as value and aha moments and just inspiration as far as where his journey has led him to today is pretty phenomenal. So I hope that you enjoy this episode with Stephen Gerard of Real Deal Recovery. So Stephen, I'm really grateful that you are joining us today on the Addiction Support Podcast. I know you have a lot of valuable information to share with my audience. And because you do have a podcast too, maybe they're going to hopefully come over and subscribe and listen to your podcast as well. Can you tell us a little bit before we you know, dive into the meat of what you do, tell us a little bit about how addiction has impacted your life. Well, you know, I grew up in Seattle and I started using drugs at a very early age. I grew up in an area where there was a park across the street from where I grew up. And uh, this is in the 70s, and, and I found it very easy to get drugs in there. And uh, so I started using drugs in about seventh grade, very regularly. And, you know, at first it was kind of fun, but then I started having problems, actually, uh, shortly thereafter. Um, I was uh, expelled from the first high school I went to. That was the first major uh, repercussion of my drug use. And uh, there was to g- I'm going to try and give you my, my greatest hits, Melissa. That's great. Um, 
When I was 14 or 15, I went to a drug clinic around the corner from where I used to cop a lot of these drugs. And uh, because I was intuitively, I knew that I had a problem. I was doing uh, things that I knew were wrong. And I went into this drug clinic and I said, uh, I asked to speak to a counselor and I spoke to a counselor and I told him I thought I was a drug addict. And his response was, I was too young to be a drug addict. Mm. So, um, you know, the writing was on the wall from a very early age. Um, and, you know, uh, my drug addiction progressed. And uh, when I was 16, uh, for example, I wanted to um, go out. And, I'm a musician. I wanted to go out and hear live music. And uh, you had to be 21 to do that in uh, Seattle. And I went down to the downtown public library with a friend of mine, and we got an overhead projector, and we made the most foolproof fake ID. So it's so it's 16. I now have this license to drink, you know, and uh, and uh, so then at that age, you know, I, I, you know, I started having other imaginability because I'm in in the bar so often, listening to music and hanging out with people much older than myself, and. Uh, then I did a geographic, uh, it was about 1819, I moved to San Francisco to play in a band, and uh, my drug use really took off there, and uh, I started having a manageability that I'd never experienced before as a result of the harder drugs, and, uh, you know, it, it was really very, very dark, and so I realized, you know, as an alcoholic and a drug addict, we come up with... Uh, you know, every the ability, it's kind of like you have a disease that tells you you don't have a disease. And so what my disease told me was is that, you know, I needed to get out of America because America was the problem. So I did probably the most alcoholic geographic a person could do. I moved to Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I ended up working for two radio stations there and ended up getting fired shortly thereafter from two of them uh, because of my, directly related to my alcohol use. I, I For the most part, I stopped doing drugs when I moved to Dublin. I was successful with that. But then my alcoholism skyrocketed. And I lived in Dublin for about two years. And when I came back to America, I started playing in another band and I started doing drugs again with the alcohol. And uh, the unmanageability got really, really bad. I mean, my health had seriously deteriorated. I think I was down to about 130 pounds. And uh, I was having, a, I, you know, for example, the, uh, I was lighting my apartment on fire all the time. Uh, I got stabbed in the back once in a blackout. And to this day, I have no idea who stabbed me. Um, I almost got shot once. Um, I fell off a fire escape. These are all things that happened in like in the last nine months of my drinking. I mean, it was just, yeah, yeah I was really, uh, really out of control. And uh, what happened, the aha moment was that um, my neighbors were murdered. And uh, these are people I had known for years. And I, you know, uh, I, I had been drinking around the clock uh, that whole week, and I was in a real panic because I didn't know what I was going to tell the police when they came to ask me where I had been, because I didn't know, wow. for the most part. And they did eventually uh, catch the person, And but what happened was is that I had like a, you know, I don't know if it was just a delusion or what have you, but I heard a voice tell me, it's time to stop. You can stop now. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, I'd known uh, for many years that I was a drug addict and alcoholic, but I didn't believe it in my heart. And at this moment, this aha I believed in my heart that I really had, a, you know, I was able to objectively look at my life for what it was. And, and not to be overly dramatic, but I think I probably was pretty close to death because um, where I had, how I had deteriorated physically and the amount of drugs and alcohol I was taking. And I went to a hospital, and I went to this hospital, um, and it was a, a week before my 23rd birthday, and I was 22 at the time, and I went to this hospital, and when I got out of that hospital, I did everything they told me to do. So uh, I guess, Melissa, I've kind of set the stage. Um, that's my background of how, you know, before I got clean and sober, but at the end of this month, I'm going to have 32 years clean and sober, and I was 22 when I got clean and sober. So I've been uh, clean and sober considerably longer than I had been alive when I did get clean and sober. Congratulations. Thank you. And, you know, they told me when I got clean and sober, hang on, you're in for a real ride. And it has been anything but boring. It's been a lot of things, but it has not been boring. It's been really exciting. And uh, for the most part, I've I've been very blessed um, in my recovery. And you know, it, it's been a real process. This is not, you know, there's a difference between being physically abstinent from drugs and alcohol and having emotional recovery. And what the steps and, and being involved in this process has given me is the ability to have more of that emotional recovery, emotional sobriety. And what I mean by that is how I act out on the street, how I behave, my relationships, uh, all of those things that go into being a you know a well-rounded person that I didn't have and wouldn't have had any conception of prior to getting clean and sober, um, and so I just love recovery and I'm just really pumped about it. And so with my podcast, I've tried to get people on there who are you know to for a, a topic-based podcast, um, but with regards to change because that's largely what your your podcast is about. I can share my experience on that. Yeah, that would be great. Um, you know, I didn't get clean and sober with really, you know, a whole lot of willingness to change. I just wanted to stop doing drugs and alcohol. That was the main mm-hmm. thing, you know. And they the old timers told me, they said, "Look, don't worry about working the steps to perfection because you're going to be working them the rest of your life anyway. Just be as honest as you're capable of being because that's what's going to be able to carry you." So, you know, when I got clean and sober, you know, I had my name was Bang by the way. I had orange hair like David Bowie. I weighed 130 pounds. I was like I looked like I was from Mars. And I've changed everything about my life from that over the last 32 years. And but I kind of digress, but with regard to the steps, the steps um I've changed with the steps in spite of myself. And so as I've gotten more sobriety, I've gotten more perspective and more honesty. And so that goes back to what the old timers were telling me. And uh, it's, you know, if, if, if any, your listeners aren't familiar with the steps, you, you can apply the steps to any area of your life and really get a lot of relief. At least that's my opinion. Um, you know, uh, and, and so that's kind of... You know, well, let me give you an example. You know, you like to talk a lot on your show about self-esteem. Yeah, for sure. When I got clean and sober, low self-esteem would have been a step up. 
Because how could I have self-esteem doing the things that I was doing to myself? They were not esteemable actions. I mean, if you've got a handful of pills and you're drinking yourself, you know, drinking a copious amount of alcohol, and you look at these drugs and you look at this booze and you tell yourself, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I don't care, that's low self-esteem. And uh, that's kind of where I was. And so... As a result of working these steps, I've gotten that self-esteem. You know, for example, you know, uh, when uh, you do the eighth step, the eighth step is you make a list of people you've harmed and became willing to make amends to them. And the ninth step is you, you make those amends. When I made those amends and I cleaned up my side of the street, it was an incredibly empowering thing. When I did that, and that gave me so much self-esteem. As an example, you know, and I also have developed a lot of self-esteem by practicing self-care in a lot of other areas of my life. And uh, do you want to go into that a little bit? What are a couple of examples of self-care for you? Well, um, you know, if you look at the, you know, have you ever heard the expression "halt"? No. It, it means don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Nice. And if you address all of those, yeah, don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And if you address those areas, for example, you're more likely to be emotionally centered. Um, I am really kind of, I'm really into eating healthy. Mm. And, uh, for example, I, uh, for breakfast, uh, eat a drink with organic vegetables, protein powder, almonds, and all this stuff. And, uh, and that's my morning uh, meal, this organic juice. Fantastic. Well, when I do that, I'm telling myself I care about myself because I'm not eating a, a candy bar and a cup of coffee for breakfast. And it also makes me feel better because I'm getting nutrients. But, you know, by eating properly, it, I think uh, psychologically gives, is giving me a real boost. Um, making sure I get enough rest has been very, very important. Um, so oftentimes, you know, if, if you're not getting enough rest, you're more likely to fly off the handle or, 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 or make decisions that aren't necessarily going to serve you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another example of self-care is the I keep my apartment very, very clean. I find that I'm thinking more clearly. I'm more productive. I feel better when I'm a very, in a very clean environment and there's not a lot of clutter. And that takes some effort to keep my place really, really clean because I live in a studio apartment in New York City. It's not like I used to, like when I lived in LA where I had all this room, I could just throw something in a closet. So <laughs> those are some of the examples I, I, that first pop out in terms of self-care. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think also it's important because a lot of times people don't realize this, but if you're not feeling great on the inside, sometimes you can fake it till you make it a little bit. So somebody, you know, maybe they're not feeling that great, but they take halt and they really start to apply that, right? Then they can start to feel better on the inside as they're doing it from the outside or maybe just cleaning a room. I know for me, if I'm feeling anxious, I'll go clean out a drawer or something. Mm -hmm. I just feel better after I do that. Absolutely. You know, small incremental changes are really, really important. If you, do, if you, for example, if you have trouble meditating for 20 minutes and that seems really challenging for you, mm-hmm. start with five. Right. You know, um, 
Stephen, you're teeing up my 60 <laughs> seconds of solitude. I have my daily one-minute meditation. So Absolutely. <laughs> Focus on the breath for a minute. Yep. You know? That's so funny. What's been paramount to my recovery is asking for help. Mm. The reason why I didn't relapse is because I had the humility to ask for help when I needed it. I made seven phone calls a day in between the meetings I went to to people that were in recovery and talked to them on the phone. This is before texting and mobile phones, of course, in the 80s. And that, 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 that asking for help has been the foundation for my entire life. You know, I didn't get clean and sober in a vacuum. I don't stay clean and sober in a vacuum. I don't advance as an artist on my own. I seek out others to help me. Um, I'll give you a concrete example. Um, Because I didn't go to high school, I was an incredibly poor writer. And I decided in my 30s I was going to go back and get a degree. And, well, if you don't know how to write a paper, you're in trouble. And uh, there was a learning center. I went to Seattle University. And there was a learning center there, and they had these teenagers who had just gotten out of high school. And I went in there, and I said, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? And uh, I asked them to help me write papers because I had no clue. And then I also took the New York Times and, I hi- and the Wall Street Journal because those are very well-edited newspapers. And I took a highlighter, and I highlighted all of the editing, all the punctuation, the whole deal. And I learned how to write that way. And uh, I just wrote my first book last year. Um, it's a music Congratulations. book. And I've written for, I've contributed to two other books. Um, about 10 years ago, I had some poetry published. And I've written for newspapers and magazines. All because I had the willingness to ask for help. Because it's very, it was very daunting. It was very difficult to go in there and say, because I was considerably older than these guys, and say, look, I, don't, I have no idea what to do. Can you help me? And uh, so that, in, in, in many respects, I think was a major aha moment when I learned how to apply what I had learned in the rooms to my outside life. And that's something that I still do today. I'm, I'm always asking for help uh, from individuals who have more expertise in particular areas. And my experience has been with that is that people, when they see that you're really proactive and you're willing to follow their advice and, 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 and you come to them in a, in a good spirit, they're, in general, i very rarely is someone not you know agreed to help me. Um, well, I think you're giving yeah. somebody a gift when you're asking for their help, right? We love to feel like we're contributing to somebody else's life. Sure. Um, one of the the main reason that I believe that I'm a happy person mm-hmm. is because I'm of service. Mm-hmm. When I got clean. I had never, you know, I didn't know what happiness was. I grew up under the influence. Mm-hmm. And I, they say when you get clean, don't take people's inventory. But I wanted to know who was really serious about staying off drugs and alcohol. And I surrounded myself with people that were really um, serious about not taking drugs and alcohol. And the ones that I f- observed that were really happy were of service to other people. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as I've gone on in my recovery, uh, being of service has become more important to me. And uh, Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. What are some of the ways that you're of service? I know that you're a coach and you yeah. do consulting. And, sure. Yeah, I do want to talk well, about that a little bit. you know, before I even... Well, you know, I started coaching after 9-11 mm-hmm. um, when I left New York City. Um, I went through a lot of adversity in 2001. And I actually didn't 
coach people in recovery. I was coaching uh, professional actors. Oh, wow. Yeah. In acting? Yeah. Well, oh, not wow. acting, but no, profession, their professional lives. Oh, okay. I, I actually know, I know nothing about acting. <laughs> Unless I'm talking to a police officer. Right. <laughs> no, but, um, but for the last 10 years, I have been using percussion to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic to intellectually and developmentally challenged teens and adults. Wow. And I did that for the last, I mean, I've been here in New York City for almost a year, but the four previous years I did it at a special needs high school in Los Angeles, and uh, I found that I'm—I've been doing that for ten years, and I—I I, I really enjoy that work. Um, I find it really just very, very fulfilling, and I do that uh, one day a week right now here in New York City, and uh, that's fascinating. You know, granted, I do get paid for that work. Um, yeah, I live in New York City. Did you hear? <laughs> There's background noise, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, yeah it's, wow, there we go. It's okay. um, <laughs> but um, th- that that's been uh, just a uh, you know a, a really great. Uh, it's really enriched my life working with this population, um, uh, and I had no idea how it was going to impact my life when I started. Um, you, you know, I uh, volunteer and take people in the program through the 12 steps. My coaching is a different, it's not AA or NA. My you coaching. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. Now, while I do work a lot with people in recovery, and we may do some step work that's specifically step work, what I do uh, with a lot of people who have been clean and sober for a while, as opposed to a newcomer, is we work on the major areas of their life. For example, their health, their relationships, um, their financial and work life. Um, if they have a particular area that they're struggling with, we, we address those areas. Uh, when I'm working with a, someone who's new to recovery, we really address uh, their recovery foundation so they can hopefully uh, hang their hat on long-term recovery. Um, so it's, it's not like I'm sponsoring people. It's, it's a completely different issue entirely um, than that. And yeah, what? Because now one of the reasons why I was successful in coaching actors and and not knowing anything about acting is we looked at the major areas of being successful as an actor, and we wrote down we looked at the weak areas they needed to work on, and then we developed action plans and put them down on paper. So we tried to get we we tried to schedule them, and and really get the person clear about what it was they really wanted to accomplish and how we were going to get there. Because if you're a you know it's the same as being a musician or you know if you're an actor you have to have all of your you have to work on many areas. You can't just work on your acting. You have to work on your marketing, your so your 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 scheduling, improving your skills. A lot, a lot of different um, aspects going into be successful as an actor, for example. And anybody so, in life having sure. that clarity and that focus. That that's where the power comes in, right? And if Absolutely. If you can help people do that, that's, that's insanely powerful. Yeah, when they say that we move towards that which we focus in on, well, it really helps to write down exactly what it is you want to focus in on. Right. <laughs> you pay attention to that on a daily basis. Absolutely. So yeah. you have to tell me about being a former monk. When I had 10 years clean and sober, so, um, I, this is when I went back to school. I had a lot of anxiety about going back to school because I didn't know what I was doing, you know. And I'd never been very, you know, interested in school where I didn't have a background of success in in, uh, in school. 
And uh, so I was having this really bad anxiety um, as a result. And I started meditating with these monks that were about 35 miles outside of Seattle. I went on the weekends and, and meditated with these monks. And they were from Thailand. And uh, they said, well, you know, we really think you should take it to the next level. So being the good alcoholic that I am, sorry for the noise outside. It's totally okay. I've got the windows closed, by the way. <laughs> it's not that loud. <laughs> okay. I'll see if I can okay. do something in editing. To, to okay, it's it really loud out. in here. Um, oh. So they said, why don't you take it to the next level? So being the kind of extreme character I am, I decided, great. So I went to central Thailand um, and became a forest monk. And I did that for about six months. Uh, and what that was about was really uh, calling time out. I, I felt that at the time I really needed to kind of just stop everything. Because um, I'd always been working so hard for a number of years. And uh, it was, you know, I'll tell you though, um, it was a great experience. But it's not unlike going to meetings or when I really practice uh active listening with someone. Uh, I find that if I go to a meeting or if I'm working with someone and I'm really, really listening to them, that uh, the serenity that I get from that, it was very akin to the kind of serenity I achieved meditating mm. when I was in uh, Thailand. And uh, I'm not quite sure how else to explain the experience. That makes a lot of sense, though. I, I like that. Are you also a listening coach? Well, I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's needed for sure. Um, so I'm looking at, I'm on your website right now. And just so our listeners know, of course, all the links will be in the show notes. So if you're driving, you can go back to the website and uh, get access to Stephen Gerard and all of his work. But on here, you say that you have two different coaching programs that you're offering right now, and they're each eight weeks long. So if I'm, you know, somebody I'm sure is listening and they want to connect with you, who are who's your ideal well, person that you like to work so with? I, I, I've broken it down to two different eight-week uh, programs. Uh, one is for the person who's in early recovery, and I consider anyone in their first five years in early recovery. So we really work on creating a foundation uh, for them to be really comfortable in their own skin. Basically, we're working on self-esteem too um, for long-term recovery. I really want them to hang to have that foundation for long-term recovery. And then if they want to continue to work with me, that's fine. That's great if it's a good match. Um, and the other one is for someone who may have long-term recovery or they're further along in their recovery um, who uh, has an issue or concern or wants to address some of the major areas of their life or maybe they need some guidance with some step work. Um, that, that's the other eight-week program. So those are the two. That's phenomenal. And that's yeah. real, realdealrecoverypod.com. That's correct. And then um, tell us a little bit about your podcast. What made you decide to start that? You know, I had been kicking around the idea for a long time. And when I made the decision, I guess you could call it an aha moment. Uh, about five months ago, I was meditating. And during my meditation, I just felt I got this message that I should do it. I should just follow through. So that's what I did. I, you know, I had no idea what I was doing uh, when I started it, and so I started. I started. You know, I got an egg timer out, and I set the egg timer like for fifteen, twenty minutes a day, and I started researching podcasts and how you do it right. And uh, it's 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 been challenging, but it's also been very rewarding. Well, you have a great. Yeah 
product that you're putting out. You're, I think that um, anybody that's in recovery, or even if you're thinking about maybe being in recovery, if you're you're in the middle of your addiction right now, check it out. It's real deal recovery. A lot of really. Um, well, I say a lot. I think seven episodes is a lot because I well, know I've been there. We're putting up. We're dropping a new one every Monday. Every Monday, and it's topic based. Mm-hmm. It's in. They're under twenty five minutes. So if somebody's commuting, and uh, because it's topic based, it's pretty focused for the most part. And uh, I've been really taken back by the honesty of my guests. And uh, so if someone's questioning, just listening to someone uh, share in an honest way is, is you know, and, and they're not, you know, they're not judging you. It's just, right. you can just check it out. And uh, um, I, I have some really interesting people um, that have been coming through for the podcast. Thanks. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And all five star ratings. I'll actually leave you a review later today. Haven't oh, thank you. Yet. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I, my pleasure. Um, so one of actually, I have I've been taking notes the whole time you've been talking. Well, some of it. So I really yeah. love halt. We're gonna go dive into that on the show notes, and then also one of the things that I love that you said. I think I'm gonna open the podcast with it. Was be as honest as you're capable of being. Yes, God, you I know? love that. Yeah, if you know, if you dig deep. And you're as honest as you're capable of, of being. That's a very empowering place, incredibly empowering. Mm. And you know, and a person knows if they're jiving themselves or not. So if they really know, you know, I'm doing my best here. What a great place to be. Yeah. You know, if you're just doing the best you can, nobody can expect any more of you. Exactly. You know. Is there anything else that you think? Uh, our audience would like to hear anything intuitively that you feel like you want to say or share? Um, I would like to thank you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I also, you know, would like to point out that you are being of service with your excellent podcast and you're a power of example for everyone who tunes in. Thank you. You know, you're a real power of example. You know, I'm just in this place where I have all these questions because I haven't dealt with, uh, having addiction myself I don't think you know not to drugs or alcohol at least and having two brothers that have gone through it it's it's you know there's just so many questions out there and I think that what you're doing actually when you're talking through I almost feel like there needs to be more people coaching for friends and family too because as we have somebody that goes through recovery and are doing that you know the family members and the people close we need coaching and counseling and help too <laughs> it affects the whole family it absolutely does yeah. and those dynamics you know, so it's fascinating to me i come from a family of very high functioning uh, parents and one of the reasons why uh, you know i believe that my addiction went uh, well first of all they were my parents and my dad particularly when i was a teenager kid coming up my dad was working very very hard uh, he wasn't around a lot because he was working so hard to provide for the family instrumentally. But I also believe that um, it's very hard for a parent to acknowledge a child doing what the kind of things that I was doing because they're so spiritually connected to their child. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I come from an Irish Catholic background and there's some, you know, I, I think that one of the things that Anyway, for me anyway, I, I felt like I thought I was a bad person because of the things I was doing. And then when I got some clean time, I realized, no, it, my disease, it was my, you know, I'm not a bad person. And uh, so anyway, just thought I'd share that. No, it's true you know? and it's beautiful. And it is a disease. It's not, people are not 
consciously making bad choices. That's the thing that I get so passionate about. I'm going to tell you just a little bit. Um, We just passed a bill in Arizona. I think it was like 3 a.m. on Saturday morning um, for naloxone to be Mm -hmm. available here. And I know, you know, most of the other states have it available, but we didn't have it available to laymen. And I've been fighting so hard to get that bill through. And part of the reason is in just educating people in general. It's like these people are not making choices. Like it's their disease. And by the grace of God, you know, you could go get a prescription for Percocet and then not even know that you have addiction. And then all of a sudden have a whole host of problems, you know. And anyway, I'm kind of going off on a little tangent there. But it's I love the fact that you said that it's your disease because that's exactly what it is. And you found a way to um, be humble and manage it and, you know, sounds like control it and not let it control you is that a fair thing to say you mean now or now yeah you know what i i don't control it i turn it over to god Mm. you know i think if i had to control not i mean granted you know i am responsible for the footwork to stay clean and sober but after i've done all my footwork i have to i have to turn it over to a higher power and i i believe you know i'll tell you after 9 11 I'll tell you really quickly, I had a lot of adversity and a lot of loss in a very short period of time in 2001. It Mm -hmm. resulted in me losing my home and having to move back to the West Coast. But um, I went to a meeting during that time period where it was a literature study and they were talking about uh, relapse. And they, it was some AA-approved literature that went on to reference uh, a study that was done with people who had relapsed, and, how, and they'd asked, you know, how many of them uh, asked God to keep them away from that first drink or drug on the day that they relapsed, and none of them, according to the survey, had. But the reason why I bring that up is that I'm not taking drugs one day at a time. I might have 32 years in a couple of weeks, but I'm really doing this one day at a time. And, uh, you know, in order to do that, I have to be spiritually fit in some capacity, particularly with the amount of time that I have. And, you know, I'll tell you, every morning, I ask God to keep me away from the first drink or drug. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, in, in a lot of respects, I'm kind of turning over that power of, of taking the first one. But I am responsible. I do have power over the decisions I make where I hang out, who I hang out with, and how I spend my days. I do have power over that. And I try to be as judicious as possible with those choices. That's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll tell you what, we're coming up on a little over 30 minutes here. I just want to thank you so much for reaching out and connecting with me and being a guest today. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, I'm in your corner like there's things that you said today. I feel like we're kindred spirits. Oh, well, <laughs> we have thank even met face to face. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, you're really, I have to reiterate, you're a power of example. Thank you. All right. I hope that you guys got a lot out of that and go check out Steven's podcast. He has real life, very focused advice. Yes, it is for people in recovery. However, you know what? This, it's just solid advice for all of us. So check it out. Um, if you like what you have to hear, subscribe, leave him a review. I'm sure he would really appreciate that. And he'd love to connect with you. 
And so I just want to finish up by saying thank you so much, Stephen, for being my guest. I really appreciate the fact that you reached out. And Stephen, I didn't tell you guys this, but it was a few weeks ago, he reached out to me on Facebook on my Melissa Sue Tucker fan page, which sounds a little arrogant. However, I think Melissa Sue Tucker was taken. So I locked up Melissa Sue Tucker fan page and he reached out and said, hey, you know, I might be a a solid guest for you on your podcast. And I'm so glad that he did. So I just want to share that with you guys because if anybody else would like to share their story or their service or whatever you're doing in and around addiction, I would appreciate it. It's a win-win-win, right? So Stephen got to come on and share his story and connect with you guys. You got to hear some really solid, valuable information and be inspired by his journey. And I got to have a guest so that I could create another podcast for you guys. So I know I'm rambling a little bit. I just want to let you know, Stephen, thank you. Thank you, thank you for reaching out and asking uh, and connecting. And if anybody else is listening and you think you might want to be on the podcast, hey, hit me up on Facebook. Why not, right? Anyway, as always, I love you guys. I see you surrounded with light and love. And, you know, go make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com. 